Alright, so we are in a mountain series. We are moving on to our next mountain. And what we've said is that God reveals his glory on the mountain. And as a Christ follower, you have most likely had these moments. You know, the, the, it's a moment where, where God just shows out. Maybe it's an answered prayer in your life, or maybe it's a, a weekend retreat or a conference that you came along uh, at the right time. You know, when we go to Zimbabwe, we talked about Zimbabwe just a second ago, when we go and, and Ed can testify to this and Amanda and, and Griffin can testify to this, man, when we go to Zimbabwe and we worship with the Mashoko Church, man, they're going to cram 600 people into a room about two and a half times the size of this one right here, all right? 600 people. And when I say it's crammed, it's crammed. And for three hours, there's no AC. We just got windows and doors open on the side and it's, it's hot, all right? And it's crowded. And, and I, 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 I was like, man, how am I going to say this not to offend anybody? It's going to test your sense of smell. All right? If you, catch, if you catch my drift. But, man, these sons and these daughters of God, they will take this homemade drum made out of a tree stump and some kind of animal skin that they found somewhere. And, man, they're going to start singing. And they're going to start beating on that thing, and their hands are calloused. I know this because at the end of the service, you actually go around and you shake everybody's hand. It's just an incredible thing. And, and it's thunderous. I, I, like it is, you just stand there and you listen to these people. There's no strings, right? There might be like 20 or 30 songbooks in the whole thing. These people just know the song somehow. And, and there's a passion and there's the joy that these people sing with. And then we just do that greeting thing. We go outside and like, like this is at the end of the service and you're, you're shaking hands and you're fist bumping people and you're hugs and you got to have hand sanitizer at the end of it. But you walk away from this thing and you're like, man, God. But we can't live on the mountain. Right? We, we, we can't live in the moment forever. We got we to gotta come back down the mountain. We've got to come back down to real life. To the day-to-day -day grind. And in these moments of the daily grind, there's these ebbs and flows. But we get frustrated. We have some good days. We get bad news. We get discouraged. We have another good day. And then, and then something doesn't go right. And the routine of life sometimes leads to these dry spells in our faith journey. It's in these moments. This is where God reveals his patience. This is where God lavishes upon us grace. This is where God lets us know that he is a merciful God. And today on Mount Carmel, you will see this very thing from one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament. This whole mountain series goes back to, believe it or not, my first trip to Zimbabwe back in 2010. And for some reason, that um, passage in Mark about the Mount of Transfiguration that we will get to, somehow that <coughs> was presented before me. It was a teaching moment while, while we were there. 
And then I was reminded of this two years ago. And, and then we, we got into Abraham and Abraham's life. And it's like, man, God just uses these mountains in very significant ways. And, and you certainly can't go through the mountains without telling the story of Mount Carmel. So if you have your Bibles, now we're going to turn to 1 Kings 16 at first. All right. This is an experience, and what you're going to see in this total story is you're going to see where God shows up and shows out. We're probably familiar with that part of it. But then we're going to see human nature show up. We're going to see the flesh act like the flesh, and the flesh behaves the way it does. Well, you're going to see in a moment how Elijah experiences both of these, the mountain and the valley, all within a day. Matthew, I mean, first keep Matthew. Verse King 16. But Ahab, son of Omri, did what was evil in the Lord's sight, even more than any of the kings before him. And as though it were not enough to follow the sinful example of Jeroboam, he married Jezebel, the daughter of King Ethbal, Baal, of the Sidonians. And he began to bow down in worship to Baal. First, Ahab built a temple and an altar of Baal in Samaria. Then he set up an Asherah pole. He did more to provoke the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than any of the kings of Israel before him. Ahab is, this, is, is an Israeli king, all right? He's part of God's chosen family. He's the, the nation that has been set apart, that came up from Abraham's lineage, right? And so he's, he's this Israeli king, but he steps outside of what God desires. And he, he marries a woman named Jezebel, who is the daughter of this Sidonian king, Ethbaal, whose name means father of the Baals. Now, Baal is this false god he is the, he's a god of the Canaanites. He's the master or the father of, of all of the Canaanites' gods. Like, he's the big daddy god, and he takes on many personas. Uh, they worship him because Baal is the god of storms. He's the god of rain. He's able to call down thunder and lightning. Baal is also the god of fertility. And then you saw in here the name Asherah. Asherah is the goddess of fertility. And so Ahab comes on the scene. He's the king. He now gets to step up, right, and do the right thing. But he marries this Jezebel. He marries this lady, and, and she's just wicked. And, and, and most people will tell you, most commentators will tell you that she's the one calling the shots. He's just, he's, he's like the point of being just a figurehead. All right, that, that's all. That's all. I guess we've got a king of England now. He's just a figurehead over there, all right? Jezebel's the one that's calling the shots. And he starts building these temples, and he starts promoting all of these gods. And don't miss that last sentence. He did more to provoke the anger of the Lord than any of the other kings of Israel. Right? I mean, like, like think about that. Like, like we, you and I, man, we go through life and we sin. We, we trip up, and we make mistakes. We may even have seasons where we sin. This guy right here is so bad. It says that he's doing more to provoke the anger. It's like, oh, there's God's, there's God's anger. Boop, boop. 
That's what he's doing. Now, you flip the page over to chapter 17, you'll see the setup for our story today. And this is 1 Kings 17, 1 through 7. All right, let's read this real quick. Now, Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe, because Tishbites are from Tishbe, in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him. Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook of Kerith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Kerith, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. So Ahab is the king that's leading this people, and he's done more to provoke the anger of the Lord than anyone before him. And so God decides that he is going to get the attention of his people. So he goes over to the rain spigot and he just shuts it off. No water. No rain, no dew. And it says a few years. The New Testament, James and Luke, both allude to this. Three and a half years the drought lasted. And then we meet Elijah, the prophet, whose name means the Lord is God. And so God tells Elijah... I want you to go to Kerith, and I want you to sit by the stream, and I want you to, to, to drink from the secret source of water that I've got over there, and I'm going to Uber eat you some food in. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, like, to bring some ravens, and they're going to bring you bread, and they're going to bring you meat, and you're going to get fed twice a day, and you're going to get to hang out while all the rest of Israel struggles. While I make them uncomfortable because of the sin in their life, I'm going to take care of you. God will allow us to be uncomfortable. He'll allow us to be uncomfortable sometimes to get our attention. No rain for three years in a land that is known for its fertile soils and abundance of fruits and crops. We could go back to the Exodus when God led them into the promised land, the land of Canaan, the land of, of milk and honey, where the grapes grow the size of grapefruits where the grapefruits grow the size of basketballs. I mean, everything is big and fertile. See what you do there in this land with no rain for three years. God shuts it all down just to get their attention. He's got Elijah sitting over here in the wilderness, camping out by a brook, and he's feeding them. But then Elijah's brook dries up. That happens in life sometimes. The brook just dries up for no reason. You're going along, you're living life. Things are great. I just get to hang out. I don't have to worry about people. People aren't bothering me. I'm not bothering them. I'm just hanging out, getting fed by the Lord. What a life. And then the brook dries up. So God commands Elijah to go and he to dwell in a place called Zarephath. And here, a widow steps out on faith and cooks Elijah some bread cake 
with the last of what she has in her pantry. And because of her faith, she never has to go to the grocery store again. It's there provided for her. And her son has some terminal illness and dies. And God uses Elijah to bring the son back to life. That leads us up to our story today. And in the first half of chapter 18, we learn that there's another prophet, Obadiah. And he's been tasked by King Ahab with finding all of God's faithful messengers so that the king, Ahab, and Jezebel could have them all killed. Right? Like sometimes you get to be Elijah and hang out by the brook and get food delivered to you. Right? I mean, that, that sometimes that happens and sometimes you've got to work for the crazy king. Right? And just hopefully you, he won't kill you. But he's tasked you to finding out all the other where all the other prophets are so they can kill them. So Obadiah has this kind of secret ministry going on where he hides the prophets. He's got this little underground railroad thing and he's sneaking these guys out in groups of 50 and he's hiding them in caves or, or around the land, right? And so, so there's other prophets, but they're, they're stashed out in caves. And so Obadiah now is, is the guy. And so we pick up 1 Kings 18, chapter 18, verse 17. We're going to read through it, and then we're going, to, we're going to talk a lot. When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? He's talking about the rain being cut off. And they've been looking for him. They've been looking for Elijah. And, and finally, Obadiah sets the meeting up, and it's like, You're the troubler. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house. Because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. Now, now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. That's a big table. We can talk about that some other time. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, but put no fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire to it. And you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord, and the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. Then Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for you are many and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire to it. And they took the bull that was given them, they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. No one answered. And they limped around the altar, and they, had the, they limped around the altar that they had made, and at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is God. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. 
And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out from them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord. And he made a trench around the altar as great as would contain two seas, that's a lot, of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their backs, their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Let no one, uh, let no one, uh, not one of them escape. And they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. All right. Hopefully you are somewhat familiar with that story. Let's talk through it because there's so much here. So the showdown is set. King Ahab and his idol-worshiping self, and all the 850 of the prophets of these false gods versus Elijah and the sovereign God of the universe. I mean, put yourself in Elijah's shoes for a second. This is what God is commanding you to tell them. I got to ask you, if it's just one on 850 plus a couple more, and they have the history of killing people, are you climbing the mountain, church? Or are you doing what God has asked you to do, one on 850? And so he says, bring everyone to the top of Mount Carmel, which is the epicenter for idol worship. I, I mean, we're, we're giving them home field advantage. This is where, you know, there's temples there. This is where the bells go. And, and, and we, I think, do we have a mount? We don't have a mount. Okay, I was going to show you. So the mascot, if you will, for Baal, is this two-legged man with kind of a bull's head and body. He's real freaky looking. But if you look at him, you can tell, like, from, from here up, man, like, he's, he's, he's bull, right? But he's a man figure, and, you know, it's kind of, he's always carrying a child around. It's just kind of, it's creepy. So this is, this is the mascot of the Baals. And Elijah summons all the parties involved. We're all there at the top. All the important people are there. He gets everybody to the top of the mountain, and he lays out the challenge. But he's challenging God's people first. And this is what he says to the church. This is what he says to the people who, who, 
say that Jehovah is God, how long will you people go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And the people, they don't amen. They don't clap. They don't ride on. The cow down. They did not have an answer. You know how it is when you get your toes stepped on, right? We've all been there. Somebody said something to us and it hurts our feelings and it just, it, it's like, oh, you're preaching right at me today, huh? And you just don't have the words. That's what's happening. I've got to ask the church, are you currently limping between two different opinions? Do you have one foot in the God camp and one in the world camp? Are you straddling the fence? Are you lukewarm? Are you Laodicea? I use God when I need him, but when God doesn't do things the way I want, I take matters into my own hand. When my crops aren't that great, I pray to God for rain, but I also bow down to Baal. And here's the truth that we need to remember. If the Lord is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. Like, like let that sink in. If it is not complete surrender from our part, here's my yes, Lord, do what you want. I will not make any excuses. I will not worry about my comfort. I will not worry about the things that, that I selfishly desire. If he is not Lord of all, then he is not Lord at all. We cannot go limping between two different opinions. You remember the story of Joshua? He's leading the, the people into the, the, into the promised land. He tells the people, you got to choose today who you're going to serve. And that's what's taking place up here. This is more than Ahab, and this is more than, than the Baals. This is the people, the people after God's heart, the people that he desires, the people that he rescued, the people that, that came through Abraham. The people that we talked about last week received the grace and the salvation before there was ever obedience. These people have completely turned their back on God, and they only use him when they need him. And when he doesn't answer and respond in the way they want, they Seek other options. So he says to them, choose this day who you will serve. And that's what Elijah is challenging us with today. And if things aren't going well as we desire, when the brook dries up, and do we remain faithful to the Lord? Or do we turn to the idols of this world? And the people did not answer him. Verse 22, I love this section. Then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, and left the prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. You read down, he kind of lays it out. Here's what we're going to do. Two bulls, you get to choose. All right, we're going to cut it up. You're going to build an altar. You're going to put some wood up there. Then you're going to lay your bulls on. But you're not going to light a fire. All right? This is the challenge to them. You, you're going you're gonna, to, we're going to call down whoever's got answers. I'm going to, you guys go first. You got, it's your home field advantage. Y'all go first. And you know what they said? It is well spoken. 
Hey, we like this. We like this challenge. This guy's playing right into our hands. That's what they're thinking. The prophets of Baal are like, our God is the God of lightning. He's the God of storms. And they're sitting there thinking like, like you know, what is your God known for? Circumcisions and things like that. Ooh, we're real scared. Verse 26, they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it. And they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon. Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice. No one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made. You want to know why there was no answer? Because false gods cannot deliver. These are man-made gods that never keep the promise when we bow down and worship them. Never. More money, church, is not going to make you happy. It creates a perpetual cycle of just wanting more. More likes or views on your social media does not give you value. It just creates the longing for more. We want the attention. The false gods that we bow down to today in our society will never answer us. They will just tell us as what happens here. Just go one step further. Try a little harder. Do a little more. And then I'll deliver. And here's the thing. The false gods never, never answer. And so they limped around the altar of this false god. And I'm glad as a society, I'm glad as a church that we don't limp around the altar hoping our false gods will provide us with what we think we need. And then verse 27 is one of those verses I'm grateful in the Bible. Helps me justify some of my behavior. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud! He is a God. Either he is Musing, sleeping, taking a nap, or he's relieving himself. He's on a journey. Perhaps he's asleep and must be awakened. Now, I, look, I, there's some righteous trash talk here, and everything in my nature wants to just go down a road here on some things, but I'm showing some self-control here. I, I don't think this was as politically correct as, as, as what it said right here. I think, I think Elijah brought it. Okay, I, I grew up playing basketball, all right, and I'll go ahead and tell you right now, I was the only white kid on the team, and I was the only church call kid on the team. I learned how to trash talk from some of the best people, and, and none of the stuff I can say right here, I kind of believe kind of in a more of a honoring God way, not so far the, uh, the way I went, um, that, that, I mean, he's laying it out there. He's doing some serious trash talking, right? Oh, he's taking a doozy of a twosie, must be. Come on, get him out here. And what they do, they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And at, as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the ablation. But there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. I mean, think about the scene. 
There's 850, and there's an altar right here with a bull cut into pieces, and there's wood, and they're dancing around, and they're crying out, and they're doing all their rituals. Nothing. And then it gets to the point where we've got to do one more thing. If we just do one more thing, man, maybe my, maybe my false God that I believe in is going to answer me. Start cutting themselves. They're literally mutilating themselves for a false God. Now, I sit here and I think about this, and I wonder how far do we go in wanting our false gods to appease us? How far are we willing to go for whatever the thing is that we bow down or you bow down to? How far? And if you really get into society, you really get into people who, who are living in both camps, man, people do some pretty incredible things when God doesn't deliver. And I know there's been seasons of my life where I'm like, one more step, one more thing, one more image, one more swipe of the credit card, one more thing will fulfill the desire within me. And then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. And all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown in. I'm not sure what, that, what happened there. So he took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord came. <coughs> Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord and he made a trench about the altar as great as he would have contained two seas of seed. I'm, 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 that's a lot. Fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. They did it a second time. Do it a third time. They did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench. I mean, like, again, go to the scene. Go to the moment. Baal, you've had your time. It's now time for the sovereign Lord of the universe to step up. And Elijah, he gets 12 stones to remind the people of their past, to remind the people where they came from. He lays the wood out and has the bull cut and he puts it up there. Why are we digging the trench? You'll see. Just keep digging the trench. Now I need you to take these four jars over here. I need you to go and I need you to fill them up with water. Remember what's going on, church. There's a drought. Like, like, like this within itself is, is a miracle. They, they, somebody has to go somewhere to find some water. And so they go get the water. And, and here's the thing. <laughs> Don't think about like little jelly jars that you get from your grandma when she makes some homemade jelly. Not the little mason jars. I mean, these are the, the jar jars. These are gallons. And enough that it, it, it soaks everything that's up there and fills the trench around it. Do not miss the prayer. If you, if you pay attention 
to verses 36 and 37 if you don't hear anything else today. And at the time, the offering of the oblation, it's just the, the, the time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and he prayed this prayer. O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me. That this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. That's the prayer. Now the challenge is, I need some fire sent down here to consume this altar. Notice what Elijah doesn't pray for. He doesn't pray for fire. Elijah does not pray. He does not ask God that, hey God, how about this prayer? Will you defeat my enemies over here? That's not what he prays. Hey God, they looked pretty foolish just a little while ago. I mean, cutting themselves and dancing around, doing all kinds of crazy stuff. Lord, don't let me look foolish. He's not pray those things. In this moment right here, God, I'm going to pray that the people who have turned their backs on you will know that you are Jehovah. That the Lord is God. Because here's the thing, nothing else matters. That's the only thing that matters is that we recognize and realize that the Lord is God. We talked about it last week. If we get that one commandment right, the other nine fall in place. Knowing that the Lord is God is more, is more important than bountiful crops. It's more important than water. It's more important than growing families. It's more important than, than our happiness or our security or our value. And I'm sitting here and I'm thinking this. I told our sermon team the other day, what if we started praying this way? What if, what if we started praying, Lord, as I pray for your will to be done in my life, Lord, answer this prayer so that the people will know that you are the Lord of heaven and earth. And, and I know we're told to pray and ask for specifics, I get that. I mean, we talked about that in our life group the other day. But what if our posture in prayer was more about God being made known than my needs and desires being met? And what if that's how I came before the Lord? And don't miss the subtle details in the last part of verse 36. <clears throat> That I am your servant and that I have done the things at your word. See, this whole showdown on Carmel wasn't Elijah's idea. He's only doing what God asked him to do. This whole fire from coming down, and we'll read that in a second, and consuming everything and licking up the water... That only happened because Elijah was first willing to be obedient when it didn't even make sense. Like, oh gosh, hey, boom, there's, there's fire. 
He climbed the mountain and did all the things because that's what God wanted him to do. Church, on the other side of obedience, with the right motives, God answers prayers. And I think you need to let that sink in. Sometimes the miracle or the answer to prayer is right on the other side of you just taking a couple of steps of obedience. And I'm not stepping into the prosperity realm here. Notice, please notice that I said with the right motives. Because I know in my, my life, when I start praying sometimes, when I start praying for specifics, I, I put my wants and desires and, and, and I kind of classify them as needs. But what we see with Elijah is that he took the steps of obedience first. And then he prayed. God answered the miracle. And I think we walk out of this room today and we don't embrace that. We might be missing a big part of this story. Because here's the thing. There's a lot of people that for years have heard about this command of making disciples. Of being focused on relationships and loving people to the point that you want to invest in them to see them grow. There's a lot of excuses. There's a lot of, man, I'm not worthy to do this. There's a lot of, I don't know how. Maybe, just maybe, there's an answer to a prayer on the other side of us being obedient to God. Verse 38. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. I, 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 like I read this and I'm like, I didn't know that dust could even be consumed, but it can be consumed. I, I would think that little dust particles that float around my house that when there's heat, there's fire, there's energy. It, it, it just, it, it, it does this thing. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces. The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Do you know how to say the Lord is God in Hebrew? Eli. Job. Elijah, the Lord, is God. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Let not one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. Now, in church circles, right? Like, I mean, that's a cool story. Like, uh, let's not overlook that real quick. Let's, spend, let's, let's talk about that. Like the fire came down, it licked up all the water and everything. That's really cool. We're like, oh my gosh, the people are now saying, Elijah, Elijah, the Lord is God, the Lord is God. And what does Elijah do? Seize all of them and let's take them down the hill and kill them. Right? We're just going to get rid of them. And in the church circles, man, that's where we stop. And originally, I was going to stop the sermon right here and I was going to go on. But here's the thing the day ain't over. Like, there's still some more sunlight in the day. And if you stop right here, you miss a very important part of Elijah's life. 
And that's a cool miracle. It's a famous story. We like all that kind of stuff, right? <coughs> Sometimes we walk out here saying, man, I just had to thank the Lord. How cool would that be? Man, I got some people I like to call down fire on. Right? I got some people I'd like to take down, you know, down the hill and take them to the edge of the brook and handle business with them. I, I got those people, man. If I could only be like Elijah. However, the story doesn't stop there. I'm not going to read it for time's sake. I'm just going to walk you through it real quick. I encourage you to go read 1 Kings chapter 19. We just killed everybody. Elijah now tells Ahab, hey, Ahab, um, there's rain in the air. Y'all know how y'all can smell the rain. It's coming, right? There's rain in the air. The rain's coming. You better get on your chariot and you better, you better get on home. To Jezreel, that's where he had to go to. Um, I, I want to say it's 20 something miles. I can't remember exactly. Don't want me to do that. Um, so then Elijah goes back up the mountain and, and he he goes and he prays. He looks out because Mount Carmel is near the sea, the Mediterranean Sea, and, and he looks out. He doesn't see anything, not a cloud in the sky. He goes and he prays again, looks out, nothing. Prays again, goes and looks out, nothing. Seven times he prays. And on the seventh time, there's like this cloud. Looks like a hand coming up out of the water. And, and he's like, all right, here it comes. Now we smell the rain. And the Bible says that the, the hand of the Lord was upon Elijah. Elijah's up on top of Mount Carmel. Ahab is already on his chariot. He's making his way back home. Elijah hikes up his robe. And he outruns Ahab back to Jezreel. All right? Like, seriously, like, I mean, we're on a chariot pulled by two horses. Even if it's just one horse, it doesn't matter. He had a head start, hangs on a horse, and the hand of the Lord is upon Elijah. And, and, and I mean, how uncomfortable is that to have to hold your little skirt thing, road thing up there like this and, and run? And he outruns a horse. All right? So they kind of get to Jezreel, which is where Ahab lives, which is also where. Jezebel lives. And you're thinking, if you just kind of stop right here, I mean, Elijah just had this oh moment. Like, I mean, we're pumped up, right? Like, we're super excited. We just killed all of Baal's prophets. We got rid of them. And man, we just, God just showed out. And then Jezebel, here's the story. In chapter 19, Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you, just as you have killed the prophets. Right? I mean, this is Jezebel. Like, she's not like bowing down like Ahab. Ahab's like, oh my gosh, I just witnessed it. I felt the heat. It singed the hair on my head. You wouldn't believe this thing. Jezebel's like, oh no, no, no. Hey, the gods have their way with me, Elijah, if I don't kill you by this time tomorrow. And you would think, same day, same 24 hour period, you would think Elijah would be like, come on, loud mouth, let me bring it. Let's do this. Let's dance. Verse 3. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. Like, like, really? You're our dude. You're our hero. You're the guy that, that is one of the Old 
Testament's greatest prophets. You're the guy that, I mean, when, when John the Baptist is coming along, they're comparing John the Baptist to Elijah. Like, you're that guy. You just prayed a prayer and had people shouting your name. Elijah, Elijah. And by afternoon, you are now fleeing your, for your life. He went down to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left a servant there. Then he went alone into the wilderness, traveling, traveling all day. He sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. Here's the thing, church. Fear, man, it's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. Fear is a spirit that the enemy uses to convince us that God is not enough for us. And on the same day that Elijah has fire dropped down from heaven and on the prophets of Baal killed. He is now afraid for his life and he panics and he takes off and he runs and he goes into hiding. And look at how quick, look at how quick the enemy can work in our lives if we give him a single foothold. I mean, Elijah, after all, is man. He is flesh. There's only one real hero in the Bible, and that's Jesus. He's the only one who's perfect. In 1 Kings 19, 8, God shows up. Elijah's underneath the broom tree, man. He's just like, just kill me. Just kill me, please. I mean, have you ever been there that bad? Just kill me. And so the angel comes, and he says, hey, I'm not done with you yet. I want you to eat, and I want you to drink. And so verse 8 of 19 says, so he got up and ate and drank. He, gave, he had the food that was given to him, and the food gave him strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai. What's Mount Sinai? What's Mount Sinai known as? The mountain of God. It's where we were last week. Here's enough food for you to eat so that you have the strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights. And I want you to go to the mountain of God. And there's a cave. And I want you to go to the cave. And in this cave, something very significant for you and I happens. God and Elijah have a dialogue. Right? Now, we don't know what happened in 40 days, but, 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 but we just know that God says, hey, Elijah, you're scared. You had a little pity party. Make your way down to Mount Sinai. 40 days, I'll see you there. So he gets to this cave, and he has a dialogue. And Elijah has a little pity party for himself. He says, Lord, I'm the only one left. Everybody else is dead. So God says, Elijah, I want you to go stand at the entrance of the cave. So Elijah goes and he stands at the entrance of the cave. And the winds come out strong. And I mean, like, it's like tornadoes because it's, it's breaking loose the rocks of the mountain. And the Bible makes this point very clear. God was not in the wind. Then he sends an earthquake. 
So now he's standing into this cave and like things are just splitting apart and it's rumbling and everything. And I've never been in an earthquake before. I imagine it's pretty frightening. And the Bible says that God was not in the earthquake. And then he sends fire. Like, like this is a thing with God and Elijah. He sends fire. He burns up everything. And then it says, <clears throat> God is not in the fire. See, church, when we are in the valley moments of life, when, we, when we're just gosh, walking through the motions, I got, I got one foot over here in the God camp, I got one foot over here in the world camp. Our relationship with God is just kind of blah, he's there when I need him, and uh, just, you know. When we're in those moments, we want the spectacular. We want the earthquake. We want the wind. We want God to show up in fire. We want the phenomenal. Many of us have prayed, God, make it obvious. Right? Like, God, God make, make it clear that you're speaking to me, God. And here's the thing. God can certainly do it. We, we saw him not far notes, 41 days ago. You know how God gets Elijah's attention, and I think this is for you and I. A soft, gentle whisper. Always been with you. I don't have to be in the fire. I don't have to be in the wind. I don't have to be in the earthquake because I've always been. You're so distracted by the world and the pressures of the world. You're trying to keep one foot in the God camp over here and one foot in the world camp that you're missing the gentle whisper of God. Because the same God who sends the fire on the mountaintop where God reveals his glory is the same God who whispers to remind you of his presence. sheds a new light on what David was going through when he wrote the 23rd Psalm. Even though I walk through the valley, the shadow of death, you are with me. So there's a lot here to process today. We're going to take a few moments ahead and our Celebration team are going to lead us. And as you sit and you ponder and maybe you sing, maybe you pray, and in a few minutes, Mike's going to come up and he's going to challenge us with time with the Lord. Meditate on what God's saying to you today. There's a lot in this story, I know. But he meets you where you are. Father, thank you for your word. God, I pray that I live my life in a way that I'm, I'm not so distracted and, and caught up with the world and everything that's there that I, I miss the soft, gentle whisper of you speaking into my life. So God, let us not miss that today. 
So whisper to us now as we respond to